Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and hypergig for details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class. Today is March 3rd, 2019. And today we're going to do something a little bit different than we've been doing We're bringing on a guest to talk about Delta Sigma Theta's first public act, and that was the Women's Suffrage March, and that was in 1913. So I hope that you all enjoy today's episode. We are doing this in celebration of Women's History Month. March is Women's History Month. So we're going to do this throughout Sundays of this month. So I would like to welcome Katie Mitchell to the show. Katie is a technical writer at a cloud computing company. She's also a freelance writer, and she's a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Welcome, Katie. Hey, Eve. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you're here today. So we're going to talk about Delta Sigma Theta's first public act when they went to the Women's Suffrage March in 1913. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened on the day, how it started, anything you want to say about it? Sure. So this happened in 1913, March 3rd. Um, But before the first public act, Delta Sigma Theta had to be an organization to start with. So on January 13, 1913, 22 undergraduate students founded Delta Sigma Theta at Howard University, HU. And then less than two months later, these 22 young women decided to participate in the Women's Suffrage March. Suffrage meaning that they were marching for the right to vote, obviously, um, that didn't happen until decades later for black folks and um, around seven years later for white women. But 
it was like a very radical thing to do for these undergraduate students say they're 19 through 22, and they're participating in this march that a lot of people didn't want them in. As um, most people know, the women's suffrage movement was segregated itself. White women felt that they needed the right to vote more than black women, more than black men, and that was kind of the catalyst for their movement. So for these 22 black girls to show up at this um, march, That was a very large march at the time. Over 250,000 people showed up in D.C. to march for this. It was a very radical and dangerous thing for them to do because they weren't wanted by the white women. The men attacked the entire um, march itself, including the white women. So being black in that space was particularly dangerous for them at the time. Can you tell me anything about why this was the first public act? Like, What's the significance of them doing this before anything else, or this being the first thing that they did that the public was able to see? Delta Sigma Theta started because these women wanted to change. There was already a sorority on campus that they had previously been a part of, but they were unsatisfied with what that sorority was doing as far as making um, making political and social change in the community, um, in the Black community. So they decided to break off and start Delta Sigma Theta, and one of their core tenets was political awareness and involvement. And so for them to have this to be their first act, I think was very intentional. They weren't trying to, you know, just slip in quietly. They were told to um, go to the back Black section of the parade, basically, and they showed up in full force because they knew that political awareness and involvement was a big thing for this new organization, and they wanted to make that statement for the world. Is there anything notable that happened at the time in terms of the reaction that people had to their presence at the march? They definitely weren't wanted. The organizer of the march was named Alice Paul, and she told editors of papers that she didn't think that the march should be integrated. She said either there's needs to be a white march or there needs to be a black march or no march. And they were aware of this. Um, their advisor, Mary Church Terrell, who was a civil rights activist as well, came and advised the 22 women to still um, participate. And their presence was agitating even more to the men, um, the white men who were there. So when violence erupted, like, the march was covered very heavily in the papers. In the papers at that time, they mentioned that there was this group called Delta Sigma Theta that was at this march, and it was a group of Black young women also demanding the right to vote. Can you tell me what the significance is of Black Greek organizations in general? In general, there are nine MPHC organizations, National Panhellenic Council, and they're community service-oriented. They do a lot in um, the Black community and on college campuses. A lot of them started at HBCUs, Historical Black Colleges and Universities, um, to be organizations that uplift Black college-educated people, and not even just their members who have to be college-educated because you can't get into the organization unless you're in the college, but also um, like the elderly, children, Whatever the organization is focusing on, that part of the community benefits as well as the members. So, for example, one of the things that my organization, my chapter did, Zy Alpha Georgia Tech, hey y'all, um, we focused on food insecurity. That was a term back in 2012 that not a lot of people were saying, like, what is that? Um, and I was able to educate the college campus, but then also go out into the community to food insecure places and make a difference in that way, too. 
So March is Women's History Month, which is the reason we're talking about this today. So I want to know what you think the significance is of talking about Black Greek organizations and the women in them in March. Um, so before I joined Delta, I really looked up to certain women. And some of those women included like Ida B. Wells, Fannie Lou Hamer, um, not realizing that they were Deltas too. And I was like following in their footsteps. So chances are, if you look up to a black woman, several black women, some of them are going to be in a sorority and you might not know it. A lot of them, you know, that's not the first thing that they're saying when they introduce themselves because they stand on their own and are doing great things in the community. But if you look back into their past, a lot of the time that foundation comes from the um, sorority that they're in. And just with times like these, with um, the Me Too movement, with um, things going on at the border, women getting separated from their children, folks getting locked up on drug charges, but then other people getting to be millionaires because of drugs. Like, I think it's important to look at women who are in the community doing what they're passionate about, whether that's immigration policy, whether that's prison abolition, whether that's voting rights, and to figure out what you're passionate about and get, get to moving because... Girl, it's crazy times out here. Like, it's wild out here. So I think that's why it's important and relevant to look at the past, learn from these women, look at women doing stuff right now and seeing, like, what's what's the thing that you're going to take up and what's the thing that you're going to push forward for the next generation? Can you tell me anything about Delta Sigma Theta, their presence at the Women's Suffrage March, anything relevant to this topic? Yeah, so... Taking it back to math class, you know, Delta means change. And these women were really um, intentional about making that change. Like, nobody would have batted an eye if they would have made a sorority that all they did, you know, it's 1913. They sit around drinking tea in their big hoop dresses and no one would have blinked an eye. But they saw a different path for themselves and they saw something different. So one thing that I want people to take away is that when you're doing things in the present, there's a legacy that you may be laying down that you don't even realize. Or maybe you do realize it. I don't know. Maybe they did envision that over 106 years ago or years from their founding that someone like me would be on a podcast talking about them. Who knows? Maybe they had that vision. But a lot of times people are fighting for things that they don't even know if it's going to come to fruition in their lifetime. You know, black the Voting Rights Act didn't pass until 1965. A lot of these women were deceased by then. So they were out here marching for something that they wouldn't even get to enjoy. But they did it because they realized that it was important for future generations and not just people that they knew, like people that they didn't know, people who didn't have the opportunities they had. Like, remember, this is 1913. These are Black people going to college. The first people that went to college in my family went to college in the 80s. So, like, they were very privileged and they used that privilege to make a difference and to help other people and to, like, move women forward, move black people forward, move the country forward, because it's really a stain on this country that everyone didn't have the right to vote from jump. Get out of my soapbox. No, (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's just, like, they were aware that they weren't wanted, and they went anyway. Like, there's times right now where, you know, I feel like I'm not wanted in places, but... I'm going to show up because I know it's the right thing to do. I think it was, like summer 
2016, we were on the highway shutting it down. And, you know, a lot of older people kind of look down on that, saying, like, this isn't the way to do it. But if we look at our foremothers and forefathers, they they was on the the highway shutting it down. Mm -hmm. So we use the tools that we have to do what we have to do and to make changes that we see fit. Yeah, I think it's really important to put history in context because I think the farther away that it gets, we really forget some of the things that we did. And when we look back to things like this, we can understand that what we're doing today, the ways that we're moving and the things that we're doing and the ways that we're organizing really have precedence. There's a reason that we're doing what we're doing today. It's not because people before us didn't do it. It had to have come from somewhere. And this act of Delta Sigma Thetas, I think, is a good way of framing our lives today and framing what people in Delta Sigma Theta and also people who organize in the community and take part in their community, the things that they do. So, yeah, thank you for for putting it that way. Is there anything else that you want to add about this event? I will say that I mentioned Mary Church Terrell was there. She was um, an honorary member of Delta Sigma Theta. Ida B. Wells was there also. She was a lynching, anti-lynching activist, um, a very, I think, the most famous woman at her time. So I think it just shows that, like, the connections that we're seeing starting with the very early days of this organization and going on to now, they were marching for something that they didn't know if they would actually ever see this, but they were still doing it. So I think a takeaway from that for Delta, for the other MPHC organizations, for people in general, is people might say, like, what you're um, marching for, what you're fighting for, it's probably a moonshot. It's not going to happen. Like, people want reparations. People want open borders. Like, it might sound really out of this world now, and we might not be able to live to see the day that that is actually a reality. But, like, the 22 founders still do it anyway because people in the future will benefit from the audacity of you to think that we can have reparations or we can have open borders or we can have, you know, the thing that you know that we should have. Yeah, you know, it's really unfortunate how many times I've heard people say, you know, this isn't going to get done. Like, you know, this is ridiculous. Right. I've heard so many people and Black people and Black women shut others down because something seems impossible. This is not just Black people. This is, you know, everybody. But since we're talking about Black women specifically today, I've heard that so much. And it is, it's sad, but it's like... Because we've had to fight so long, because we've struggled so long and had to go through so much to get the things that we have today, um, we lose sight of it. And I think that this event in history is also another way of reminding us that sometimes things take a long time. (laughs) A lot of times things take a long time. And because our lives are so short, we don't recognize the scale of things. Right, right. And we don't recognize how every little piece is a layer that's built onto a foundation and in the end creates a building that, you know, we can all be proud of. Yeah, we definitely have a myopic view. It's like, well, I got 80 years here and it ain't happening in 80 years. (laughs) But yeah, like people said, slavery would never end. Like, can you imagine, like you were enslaved your whole life and that's it. So that's all you know. That's what you think the condition of the world is always going to be. Right. But then, you know, your grandchildren are emancipated and, you know, they... Well, they start sharecropping, but then, you know. <laughs> Whoa, it let's not it go there. It wasn't, wasn't that great. We're going to end up at the Great Migration. Girl, I was going. We're through all the history. I, you know, I saw Isabella at uh, Agnes. Hey, Isabella. This going to turn um, into <laughs> But, yeah, so, like, people say it's impossible. It seems impossible. It may very well be, but 
you still gotta try you still gotta make your voice known because you never know yeah okay thank you for being here today Katie yeah. thank you Eve. thanks for having me Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back tomorrow for more delicious morsels of history. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.